Welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We are finishing up on our Sermon on the Mount series, and this is the 29th message in this series. We have one more after this, but you can find all of the messages linked in one place on the blog. And also, if you're a Spotify user, I've created a playlist, so they're all there in one spot to find easy. But you can also find them in any podcast app you use, and obviously on my website. And whether you've been listening along, or maybe you're just starting today, I highly recommend to read along with the series, and in addition to using your Bible, obviously, but using the Studies and the Sermon on the Mount by Martin Lloyd-Jones, it is just a really excellent resource, and it's going to be one that you find yourself turning back to again and again, and I will include all those links into the show notes. So we are already, as I'm recording this, we are in the middle of September. It's 2023, just in case you're listening a little later. But I know for me, I can't believe we are already in the middle of September. This is my favorite time of year. Wisconsin is absolutely breathtaking in the fall. And I love the temps and the colors and the coziness of the season. And I so love that my wardrobe gets to change, right? Who doesn't love sweaters and sweatshirts? And with fall upon us, this is the perfect time to try Flexi Clips. With so many different styles and colors to choose from, they have something for everyone. My grand girls, my grandkiddos, my girls, they love them. And they make the perfect addition to your fall outfit. So whether you're wearing a sweater or a sweatshirt, Flexi clips are unlike any other hair clips because they're made from music wire. This is really kind of cool. It makes them very strong yet flexible so they can hold your hair comfortably all day long. They're designed not to pull on your scalp, which that can cause headaches and damage your hair. So no more headaches from those hair clips or ties. They're lightweight, so you barely know you have them in. And they come in multiple sizes. They're suitable for all hair types, from super thick to curly baby fine and straight. And there is, there's honestly, there's nothing like them on the market today. They are truly beautiful, and they are functional, and they are comfortable. So my dear friend, Marie, at Moxie in the Middle, she's an independent Lilla Rose stylist. She has a special offer for you guys, for my listeners. When you spend... on FlexiClips, you receive a $17 shopping credit for future purchases. That's a pretty good deal. And there's more. When you click on that link in the show notes, and it'll be under wherever you're listening to the podcast or on my main site at thankfulhomemaker.com, and I'll throw it out there on my social media too. So look for it. So when you click on that link, you can learn more about this offer. But also, this is huge. Don't miss it make sure you enter the lovely giveaway that Marie has going on because who doesn't love a giveaway, right? And all that will be linked in the show notes. So please make sure to check that out. So we have reached a milestone on the podcast today because today is episode 150. I know I'm kind of a slow podcaster, but today is episode 150, which is a big deal for me. And again, we're on the 29th episode in our deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount series. We're currently working through a section of scripture that we're all familiar with. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, and I've titled it, Build Your House on the Rock. 
I'm sticking with the text there. I'm not adding any creative titles today because this title, it summarizes this text perfectly. So last episode, we worked through Jesus warning those, quote, the religious, quote, religious people not to be self-deceived and to thinking they're part of the kingdom of God when they really weren't. And we said there is no more scarier thing in life than thinking or believing that you are saved when you are lost. You can attend church. You can be an active part of your local congregation. You can show an interest in spiritual things, read your Bible, and on the outside, look like a Christian, but never truly possess Christ, never truly be born again. The evidence will show in the life you lived. Your life will not bear spiritual fruit. It will not be a life that was lived in obedience to God's word. Profession to Christ without obedience to Christ is worthless. And the most horrific words to hear at the end of your life would be, depart from me, I never knew you. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, what our blessed Lord wants above all is ourselves, what scripture calls our hearts. He wants the inner man, the heart. He wants our submission. He does not merely want our profession, our zeal, our fervor, our works, or anything else. He wants us. God does not want our offerings. He does not want our sacrifices. He wants our obedience. He wants us. He continues, it is possible for a man to say the right things, to be very busy and active, to achieve apparently wonderful results, and yet not to give himself to the Lord. And he says, and that is finally the greatest insult we can offer to God. What could be a greater insult than to say, Lord, Lord, fervently to be busy and active, and yet to withhold true allegiance and submission from him, to to insist upon retaining control of our own lives and to allow our own opinions and arguments rather than those of scripture to control what we do and how we do it. This is the greatest insult of all to the Lord, end quote there. As we move forward into Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, and Jesus is closing in on his sermon. We have one more episode after this one, and that closes out our Sermon on the Mount. But as we come to this very sobering text, and I'm going to always, I'm reading from the ESV translation, but some of the texts start this particular passage with a therefore. So the ESV does not. So Jesus is reminding us of all we've heard before from the start of this sermon in Matthew chapter 5 when we first started way back a couple years ago now. So I'm going to read to you our text today. It's Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 to 27. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. <clears throat> Jesus had previously warned his hearers about false teachers. We, we worked through that in A Tree and Its Fruit, and that was episode 146. And in our last episode um, of the series, episode 147, The Danger of Self-Deception, we were warned about saying and doing. And now our contrast in this passage is the difference between hearing and doing. So we see in verse 24, it tells us that the person who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man. And in verse 26, a person who hears and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man. 
We can also see the difference between the obedient here and the disobedient here. The obedient here, the wise man, he built his house on the rock. And the disobedient here, the foolish man, he built his house on the sand. So the biggest difference between these two men is in the foundation they built on. You can't see the foundation from just a casual glance, right? So we need to dig a bit deeper. We need to look a bit more into their home, into their lives. Matthew 7, 24 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone is everyone. So it's clear that everyone either responds to what they've heard or they don't respond. Both individuals here, the wise builder and the foolish builder, they heard the gospel. They heard that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the word used for hear here, it means with attention. It's in the present tense. So this particular individual, he continually listens to the words of Jesus. The man who hears and practices what he hears is a wise man, and he is as James describes him in James 1.22 to 25. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So it is describing one who hears these words and does them as a wise man. It shows that this person has trusted in Christ's finished work on the cross. William MacDonald stated, he said, if a person lives according to the principles of the Sermon on the Mount, the world calls him a fool. Jesus calls him a wise man. The world considers a wise man to be someone who lives by sight, who lives for the present, and who lives for self. Jesus calls such a person a fool. Hmm. So both of these builders and their homes, they look similar, right? But the true structure and quality of the home will be revealed when the storms come. Our, quote, house, it must be built on the rock. And the term here for rock used is Petra. It's a huge rocky formation. It's, a, it's describing a great outcropping. It's, it's immovable. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11 tells us, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Um, let's see. So according, I want you know what, I'm going to start that again because I totally botched that verse. So I'm so sorry. So I'm reading 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. This is the apostle Paul speaking. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the solid foundation our lives must be built on. It's his teachings and it's his life. And we're to follow him and his ways if we've been born again. It's it's the bedrock of God's word that this is built on, right? This is the only rock on which our life as believers can be built. John MacArthur said, he said, the mark of true discipleship is not simply hearing and believing but believing and doing. The true disciples of Jesus Christ, the only true converts of the gospel, are those who are doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. In other words, a person who professes to know Christ 
but does not obey Christ, has no lasting image of what the new life is all about. He glimpses Christ and glimpses what Christ can do for him, but his image of Christ and of the new life in Christ soon fade. His experience with the gospel is shallow, superficial, and short-lived. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6 to 6 reminds us, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our proof of salvation, not the cause, you need to hear me, not the cause of our salvation, because we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But the proof of that is a life of obedience to God's word. If we have repented of our sins and we've trusted in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we are now under his lordship. And now being in Christ We love him, right? We desire to live a life that pleases him. Through this whole sermon, all three chapters in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus has been telling us that a house built on the rock is a life lived in obedience to God's word. It's a life that desires to be right internally in our hearts and not just externally, right? It's not a life of self-righteousness, but of God's righteousness, Everything is new. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our motives, our deeds, our love for one another, our service, our desire to honor our Heavenly Father in all things. Our Heavenly Father who has saved us and bought us at a great price and changed us and takes care of us and who loves us with an everlasting love. We love because he first loved us. Let's contrast this now with the foolish builder. Matthew 7.26 says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So this man, this foolish man, he hears the truth of the gospel, but he doesn't obey it. This man is more concerned about the exterior of what other people think and see. He may even be deceived for a period, thinking he is a believer. He builds a house. Again, I said he may believe he's a Christian. He may attend church and on the exterior look to be a believer. But his confidence isn't in God. It's it's in himself. He may very well be known as religious. Our contrast in this passage and in this whole sermon, we need to be reminded of this. Jesus isn't contrasting a professing Christian with a non-believer, okay? Um, It is contrasting those who profess Christ. It's a contrast between the genuine believer and the deceived, those who think they are a believer. It's not a question of if they have heard but if they are obedient to what they've heard. John Stott stated, he said, the truth on which Jesus is insisting in these final paragraphs of the sermon is that neither an intellectual knowledge of him nor a verbal profession, though both are essential in themselves, can ever be a substitute for obedience. The question is not whether we say nice, polite, orthodox, enthusiastic things to or about Jesus, nor whether we hear his words, listening, studying, pondering, and memorizing until our minds are stuffed with his teaching, but whether we do what we say and do what we know. In other words, whether the lordship of Jesus, which we profess, is one of our life's major realities. This is not, of course, to teach that the way of salvation or the way to enter the kingdom of heaven is by good works of obedience, for the whole New Testament offers salvation only by the sheer grace of God through faith. What Jesus is stressing, however, is that those who truly hear the gospel and profess faith will always obey him, expressing their faith in their works. 
So one day, what we truly believe will be tried on the day of judgment. Verse 25 says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. This verse by most commentators agrees that it's speaking of the final judgment. It's a day that every human will face, whether at death or at the Lord's return. And only those who have built on the foundation of the solid rock will be the one standing. The one that has built his house on the sand will be destroyed and fall and spend eternity in hell. At that moment, it's going to be evident what is wheat and chaff, who are the sheep and the goats, who entered by the narrow gate and who entered by the wide gate. These two houses will be revealed and it will be clear as to the words we are also familiar with in Revelation 20 verses 12 and 15. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. My dear friend, we have spent a lot of time in this sermon working through the differences between those who are self-righteous to those who have the righteousness of God, to those who know they are poor in spirit and spiritually bankrupt before the Lord, to those who are basing their standing with God on their own perceived goodness. If you're trusting in your good works or your church membership or that you were baptized as a baby or that you attend church every week or that you read your Bible or that you grew up in a family of Christians, but your heart has never been made new, that you have never been born again. You've never seen yourself as a sinner against a holy God and cried out to the Lord for mercy and for the forgiveness of your sins. And you have not seen that you are in great need of a savior because you are dead in your sin and utterly helpless to save yourself. Then I plead with you to pray and cry out to the Lord, Stop what you're doing at this moment and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. Please, please examine your heart to see if you are in the faith. Ask the Lord to examine your heart. This passage in Matthew is so important not to skim over. It's a passage that's here for a reason. Our Lord doesn't want us to be deceived where we stand with him. It's a passage that should cause us to examine our hearts I lived much of my life deceived, thinking I was a good person, thinking I was going to heaven based on my own self-righteousness. I was going to the, quote, heaven of the, quote, God that I created in my own mind. This God and this heaven I created in my own mind, they didn't exist. When the Lord got a hold of my heart and revealed my sinful, wicked self, that I was separated from him, I didn't know him, I wasn't his child, I was on the road to hell, and I deserved it. In a moment, his irresistible grace got a hold of my heart. I repented of my sin and cried out to him to save me. And I was changed, made new. Now being his adopted daughter and with his spirit at work in me, it's caused me to want to live my life for him and tell others about him, which is what I love to do here and live a life of obedience by his grace. We love because he first loved us. I lived much of my life on the sandy foundation, and I am so grateful the Lord opened my eyes and stood me on the solid rock of Christ. The hymn, Rock of Ages, just plays through my mind so often. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. He has washed me, 
and granted his loving kindness to me, I am forever grateful. And because he has called us as his own, we can now understand that there are purposes to all the trials of life, right? The storms of life, the persecution, the trials, the difficulties, the losses, the wise man who has built his house on the rock, capital R there, will weather the storms of this life by clinging to the word of truth. They will look to Jesus. They will stand firm on a foundation that will not sink or crumble. They will trust the Lord is working and that there is purpose in all things. Romans 8.28 is going to be a truth they hold on to. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Always, always be reminded when you hear this verse, because I know it's one I like to quote a lot. It's not saying that everything in this life is just going to turn out hunky-dory or okay, right? But it's telling us that if we are in Christ, that God is working out all things for our ultimate good. All things in our life as believers, the Lord brings and allows, will work together for good to us. But we must keep our eyes on eternity. It doesn't mean it's happening here and now, right? It's happening possibly in eternity. All things. When the storms of life hit upon the foolish man, his foundation is not going to hold. He's going to sink. He will fall. In the end, he will fall. It's going to be revealed in the final judgment that he was never a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. Martin Lloyd-Jones stated, he said, we are all in one of two positions. We are either like the wise man or the foolish one. We are either, as we saw earlier, doing our utmost to put into practice the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, or else we are not. Either we are Christians or we are deluding ourselves into thinking that we are Christians and picking and choosing the things that please us out of the gospel and saying, this is quite enough. You need not take these things too seriously. You must not become narrow. All is well as long as you believe things in general. He continues, but our Lord teaches here that if we are in the wrong position, our supposed belief will not help us at all. Indeed, it will let us down completely when we need it most. We all have, right, winds and rain and floods that come into our lives, and we will all have to face death. This is the true test that will reveal the foundation you have built your life on. The wise man, as it tells us in Luke 6, 48, he dug deep. He laid his foundation upon the rock. He has a love for God's word. He studies it. He meditates on it. He prays over it. He's obedient to it. He mourns over his sin. He loves to serve the Lord and others and doesn't see it as a burden, but a joy and a great privilege. I have a really lengthy quote here, again, from Martin Lloyd-Jones I want to share. I didn't know how to summarize it or cut it down, and I think it's really powerful, and I just want to share the whole thing with you. So, so take it in. Again, I will put this in the show notes so you can read it again on your own time, too. He says, certainly read your scripture and certainly pray, but not in any mechanical sense, not because you have been told to do it. Do it because the Bible is God's word and because he is speaking to you through it. But having read and prayed... Stop and meditate, and in your meditation, remind yourself of the actual teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Ask yourself if you are living the Sermon on the Mount or really trying to do so. We do not talk to ourselves sufficiently. That is our trouble. We talk too much to other people and not enough to ourselves. We must talk to ourselves and say, and he continues here, we must say, our Lord said in effect, I, I preach this sermon to you, but it will be of no value to you if you do not do what I say. Test yourself by the Sermon on the Mount. Remember these pictures at the end of the sermon. Say to yourself, yes, I am here now. I am young, but I have to die sometime. And am I ready for it? What would happen to you if you suddenly lost your health 
or lost your good looks or your money or possessions? What would happen to you if you became disfigured by some disease? Where are you? What are you going to rest upon? Have you faced the inevitability of judgment beyond death? That is the only safe way. It is not really enough just to be reading the Bible and praying. We have to apply what we learn. We have to face ourselves with it and hold it before us. Do not rely on our activities. Do not say, I'm so active in Christian work. I must be all right. Our Lord said that you may not be all right, though you think you are doing it for him. Just face these things one after another and test your life by them. And then make certain that you are really keeping this teaching in the forefront and at the very center of your life. Make quite sure that you are able to say honestly that your supreme desire is to know him better, to keep his commandments, to live for his glory. However enticing the world may be, say, no, I know that I, as a living soul, have to go meet him face to face at all costs. That must come first. Everything else must fall into the background. It seems to me that this is the whole purpose of our Lord's picture at the end of this mighty sermon, namely, that we should be warned against and made aware of the subtle danger of self-delusion, and that we should avoid it by thus examining ourselves daily in his presence in the light of his teaching. And Martin Lloyd-Jones finishes, he says, may he grant us the grace to do so. I always think sometimes to just take the time to read through the book of 1 John. I think that's such a good book to read through and pray and ask the Lord to examine your heart as you read through it. So the rain and the floods and the wind, I I get it. They're kind of metaphorical descriptions of the type of testing we're going to experience as believers. There may be moments we may feel like we are just not going to stand, that, that it's hard, right? Our Lord never said it was going to be easy, but he did tell us that he would never leave us or forsake us. And if we are in Christ, we will stand. Christ is holding on to us and he will not let go. Our word for founded in verse 25 of being founded on the rock is in the past perfect tense. And that just means it has an ongoing continuing effect or results. If your foundation is built on the rock of Christ, it's a firm foundation. One commentator stated it that Jesus is the only rock solid foundation of truth on which we can always depend. That's a good truth to be reminded of. So I pray that we will build our lives on the solid foundation of Christ. Jesus is the rock of salvation who delivered us from sin. And when these storms come, and they will come, 1 Peter 1.6 reminds us that we will be grieved by various trials, but we can cling to Jesus. And as we do and we stand firm, it also tells us in 1 Peter 1.7 why we have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to end with the words of a hymn that reminds us on the Lord, our rock. And it's it's the hymn called My Hope is Built by Edward Mote. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. I'm By God's grace, I'm not going to sing it to you because that would you would be like, it would not be good. So I'm going, and my husband and I always joke, we sit up towards the front of church so other people don't have to hear us sing. So I'm going to read you the words of this hymn. <clears throat> my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. 
When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My dear friend, may you be found to be standing on the foundation of Christ, the solid rock. And truly, Jesus is enough always. I am so, so grateful for your time today. The full show notes will be at the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. They'll be linked below wherever you're listening to this podcast. And as I'm recording this, I'm getting ready to head to the G3 conference in Atlanta next week. Lord willing, we have some family health issues going on that we're working through. Um, But my hope is to be there. If I'm not there, you know why I'm not there. But if I'm there, I'll be at booth 727. So if you're there, please come find me and say hello. And I do want to take a moment to give thanks to sponsors like Marie at Moxie in the Middle. Because of her support, it keeps the lights on here. So I can't thank her and my other sponsors enough. So when you support her, you're supporting me too. So when you hear of a product or service that piques your interest here, because it's one that I really resonate with and agree with, please give it a try or at least go check it out. Check out the website. Again, I can't say it enough. I'm truly grateful for my sponsors and I'm truly, truly most grateful for you, my friend. So I do pray you have a very blessed week. 